So I call this metric profit per hour by client, right? Or client profit per hour. And this is actually the one thing that I meticulously have tracked in my service business as a web developer for the last 15 years to the minute. We all hear the phrase, what gets measured gets managed. But how are you supposed to know what the heck to measure in the first place? I'm Susan Bowles, and you're listening to Break the Ceiling, the show where we break down unconventional strategies you can use to save time, boost your profit, and increase your operational capacity. Now, there's definitely truth to this adage. Measuring something does make you pay more attention to it, and you'll automatically take actions to improve whatever it is you're measuring. This month, we're kicking off a series all about measuring growth. What do you measure? How do you track it? And what do you do with the data once you have it? How do you actually use the information to help you figure out how to grow? There's this concept that a lot of startups use called the one metric that matters or the North Star metric. Basically, this is the idea that you focus on measuring and improving one thing at a time. By focusing on a single thing, you can use it as a filter for decision-making, and you can make sure the actions you're taking in your business are actions that will truly make an impact. It's a way to filter and prioritize all the items on your to-do list that compete for your attention. But whatever metric you choose to focus on better be something that really matters. What you choose to focus on can have an impact on how sustainable and profitable your business is or isn't. So for example, if you choose to focus on generating sales, that's fantastic. You might see a ton of growth, exponential growth in sales. But if you aren't taking into account how much those sales cost, you might run into real trouble. Tons of revenue, but burning through your cash like it's on fire because what you're selling isn't actually profitable. Or like a lot of those fastest growth awards look at, if you choose to measure your growth by the number of employees you have, that might lead you down the wrong path. You might have a big staff that comes with a big price tag, but you might not be delivering profitable services, or you might not actually have enough work to sustain that many employees, which is another fast track to burn cash. So if you're gonna pick one thing to measure, you better make sure that it represents what you truly want to get out of your business because it'll ultimately drive your actions. Now, I'm not saying you have to measure a bunch of different things, Far from it. I'm a huge fan of the keep it simple approach, and my guest today is a master at that. You might remember Rob Howard from episode nine, where we talked about streamlining the proposal process. Rob owns a web development agency, Howard Development and Consulting, and he also runs a course for freelancers called Automate Your Freelancing. And when I first came up with the idea for a theme around measuring growth, Rob was the first person I thought of. He does have a one metric approach to growth. Okay, well, technically two, but his one metric changed how I evaluated and measured my own business, and it's been something I have incorporated into my clients' businesses as well. It's not something you have to look at every day, but keeping track of this metric will help you grow in a sustainable, financially healthy way. Hey, Rob, thanks for being here today. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be back. Yeah, so let's dive right into kind of the quantitative side here and talk a little bit about what you would consider to be the key things to measure for service business owners, either stuff that you found in your own business or working with your students. Absolutely. Um, so I'll give you one sort of high level one uh, that I think is 
pretty straightforward. Uh, and then I want to dig a little bit deeper into another one, which is kind of more unconventional. Um, so in terms of the one number that actually tracks most closely to how much money you're going to make, like three or six months from now, uh, the one thing that I like to track is the number of new proposals that I send out to clients. Um, and there's, so what I like about that is it is a super simple way to quantify how your lead generation and your funnel, for lack of a better word, is doing, right? So the point of everything is to get a proposal to a client, right? Um, once you've done that, things sort of leave your control, right? Because there's always a lot of things that are happening on the client side that maybe you can see, maybe you can't, maybe you can, can control, maybe you can't, right? Um, but from a new business standpoint, if you can focus on sending more proposals and nothing else, that's a huge win because it takes a lot of things sort of out of, sort of, out of your purview. And it's very easy for you to track that and it's very easy for you to control that. Um, and you can be like, I got to go do more proposals faster. I got to get this out faster, right? And, um, you know, we've talked before about how to send proposals more quickly from a tactical standpoint. Um, but the big picture strategy is that's a thing that's going to yield more money for you three or six months down the line. Whatever your conversion rate is, the key input is a new proposal, if that makes sense. No, that absolutely um, makes sense. You can't make more money if you're not making offers Exactly. So the more offers, the better. And on the other side of the equation is kind of the deeper and in some ways more interesting one, um, which is how do you figure out which of your existing clients are good and which are not good, right? In an actual quantifiable way, um, because you want to take that and then you want to try to replicate those great clients. And what's interesting is that a lot of us can kind of, obviously we all have a feel for which clients we like working with and which ones we don't like working with, right? However, what we often are totally uh, wrong about is which clients are actually the most profitable for our service business, um, especially if you're doing a mix of fixed project fees plus hourly, if you're doing sales, that's sort of unbilled time, right? Um, it gets out of hand really quickly and you sort of lose track of how much time you're actually putting in to a particular client to work for a particular client. Um, there's also elements like, does this client randomly call you or do they schedule things in advance? Right? So how haphazard are they? Stuff like that, that really plays into the amount of time you're spending with that client fulfilling, you know, what you guys have agreed to. Um, so I call this metric, uh, profit per hour by client, right? Or client profit per hour. Um, and this is actually the one thing that I meticulously have tracked in my service business uh, as a web developer for the last 15 years, uh, like to the minute. So it's tracking all the time you spend with a particular client, including sales and including implementation, because both count towards the amount of time you need to make a certain amount of money. Um, and doing your best to track uh, profit per client uh, over a period of time. So like you might look at this over the course of six months or a year uh, and then have like a really good big picture vision of, you know, maybe I had 10 or 20 clients last year. I know roughly what my 
amount of profit or amount of income was from each one. And I also know how much time I spent on sales and how much time I spent on implementation or delivery work. Um, and it is fascinating to see what this sort of data set, uh, the light bulbs that it turns on for, for so many freelancers. Um, because a lot of us can say like, yeah, I know who my biggest client is, right? In terms of money sent to me, but am I really making more per like hour in office chair with them than with other clients? Like, do I, are they really the one that I want to replicate or are they actually a huge time suck and energy suck in a lot of ways? Uh, and do I have a couple of small clients who I'm making tons of money on where if I replicated them, they're fun and I could make way more money per hour, right? Um, so that is for me, the number one thing. And I would say can easily be the only thing that you track. Um, and I think you sort of, uh, you know, are, are headed down this, this road already, but like, it's really easy to get carried away with tracking too much and more data is not necessarily better. The problem with more data is that you get more, uh, it, 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 the more variables you introduce, right? the more you can have like false connections pop up between variables, mm -hmm. right? The more you can get confused or overwhelmed, uh, you know, just in your own head by all those variables. And it's just a pain in the neck to track everything, right? So if you can track one or two things that directly lead you to a more successful business, uh, that's actually way better than having a ton of data that, you know, is sort of a, a mess of jargon that, that doesn't really lead you to any direct answer. No, I, I, I like that. It's a clear, easy, it's, and I think from my experience using that profit per hour per client, I was always really surprised um, at how different my perception of who my best clients were compared to the reality in terms of the actual impact on the financial health of my business per client was. I found this um, profit per hour per client to be uh, a really good balance in terms of me judging my best clients based on how much I liked working with them, which is usually what I was kind of uh, circling back to was, do I like them personally? Are they fun to work with? Um, those sorts of things that in my head sort of turned into actual data. And I think it's still a, an important piece of the identifying who your perfect clients are, but being able to look at a quantitative measure and then use that data to track back and say, okay, well, why was that client a more financially viable client than the other ones? And how can I, how can I replicate both the part that I like about working with them and also the financial aspects of this being a better client. Um, totally. So talk to me a little bit about kind of what's happening behind the scenes for you to actually get to this profit per hour per client. Yeah, data. absolutely. Um, so the core thing that you need to do is start tracking your time, right? And for many of us, like we sort of already do this, but we're not very diligent about it right at first. Um, and I think the key sort of um, mindset shift, right, is I am sitting at my computer desk for the purpose of building a business that makes money. So I can use that money as a tool 
to do all the other things that I want to do in life, right? So this is one of those places where as a freelancer, you know, or a self-employed, you know, professional of any kind, you really need to get out of the nine to five grind mindset, which is, you know, roughly like I need to sit in this chair for a certain amount of time for people to think that I have a real job, right? That's actually not uh, how you want to approach it. What you want to approach it is something closer to, um, I own a business, right? My goal is to make this business as successful as possible. I'm not sure exactly how much time that's going to take and that's okay. But I want to make sure that I'm using my time in a way that is as effective for me as possible. And the only way to measure that is to actually track it, right? So what I do is I always have, um, I use a tool called Harvest for time tracking, but there's tons of great ones out there. And the only reason I use that one today is because I've used it for 15 years and it has all my data in it basically. Um, but basically it has a little desktop widget. You can create as many different projects as you want under as many different clients as you want, right? Um, and I just always have it running while I'm at the computer and I switch between projects when I switch between tasks, right? Um, so over time, it kind of becomes automatic and in the background and it allows you to uh, then go back to that data after like three months or six months or whatever and actually have useful real data like in a significant amount that you can refer back to. And one of the cool things about this is that as freelancers, we often actually struggle with having a very small sample size, right? So even like, do I like my clients, right? Or which clients do I like the best is a question that suffers from the sample size being too small, right? You don't really know like who's the best client out there if you have five or 10 experiences because you actually need way more experiences than that to have a reliable guess, right? So you just have to kind of do your best with the small sample size data. Um, the same goes for like, why did this person accept my proposal or not, right? Um, you actually may never know it with some, any sort of statistical certainty, uh, if that actually exists anywhere in the world, um, like why people are saying yes or no, because you just don't have enough opportunities. Even if you send 100 proposals per year, it's a pretty small amount from a data standpoint, right? Yep. But what's cool about time tracking is that you actually have a ton of minutes that you can look at over the course of the year, right? Enough that I think you can reliably say like this client or this client type needs a lot more handholding during the sales process. And that really drags my hourly rate down, my hourly yield down, right? Or this type of client, has, you know, a fast sales process, but they're just miserable in the revisions process. And it actually adds a ton of time to each project, right? So when you have your timer always running, um, you know, it definitely takes sort of some of the romance out of life to have a timer <laughs> always running. Um, but the benefit is now you have data that you can go back and use, right? So the amount of dollars you made and the amount of minutes you spent are, data points where there is enough quantity to make real decisions based on them. And that's pretty rare in the world of freelancing because oftentimes you just don't have enough data points to make solid decisions from. And in this case you do. Yeah, I do. I do something similar um, in, in toggle. Are you, um, 
Are you tracking your internal stuff, like your business administration stuff, or are you mostly just tracking, you know, client-based time? Yeah. So I track it all. So I have myself as a client in my time tracking system. Um, So I have a project called Office Time, which goes into like everything that can't reasonably be applied to a client's uh, work. I also have sales time as a task under each client, right? So this is kind of a key addition that I think, uh, you know, these systems don't necessarily encourage you to do by default. Um, But the key is you want to actually define like, so when when a prospect comes in, they may not be paying you yet, but they should become a client in your system, right? And then you should start logging how much time you're spending on sales calls with them, on uh, proposal writing, on you know anything that's not the actual project, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because you're gonna wanna go back and look at that and say, okay, like not only like which implementation projects are most profitable for me, but which clients uh, seem to sell the fastest, right? Uh, And if you start to see patterns in that, then you can start to kind of take some of your like judgment call uh, things like I like working with this person and I enjoy the work that we, you know, put out at the end of the day. Right. And by the way, everybody in this person's industry is kind of a fast sale. Right. So that starts to kind of set off, um, you know, bells for you that that could be a good potential client to duplicate, right? Whereas if uh, the flip side of that is there are some clients where it seems like the projects are really profitable, but the sales process is really long. And if you're not tracking that to that individual client, you may never know. One of the key things is making sure that sales time is part of, uh, you know, what you're logging and what you're logging to that client, because uh, it really does matter in terms of that client's total, uh, you know, profit per hour yield for you, how much time it takes to sell each new project. And the no, ideal, the ideal is zero sales time, right? So you're on a long-term retainer, they have a budget, and now sales time no longer exists, right? Sales time is just, we need an hour to talk about stuff that's coming up in the next quarter. Yeah. So Let's talk about kind of the the flip side of this. Are there any, you know, you're focused on just a few key metrics. Was there anything that you consciously chose not to track or you started tracking and it led you down the wrong path? Um, what, how, how did you kind of come to the conclusion that these are the key things to be tracking? Yeah, totally. Um, I think um, everything that has to do with your sort of lead intake work, right? Uh, has huge potential to be really distracting, right? And one of the reasons for that is that it's, as I mentioned before, really hard to get enough information to make good decisions, right? So I think the biggest pitfall is we here in like the Silicon Valley world, like split test everything, um, track everything, like, optimize your Facebook ads for conversion rate and then add a custom conversion and optimize for that as well. Right. And the problem is that in theory, that stuff works. Right. And certainly at a scale of hundreds of thousands or millions of people going through your system, that stuff works really well. But 
with freelancers, we are almost always at a place where we have a very small sample size. And as a result, all of those optimization things, or at least the vast majority of them, really do not translate well to a small service business, maybe with one owner or one owner and a small team, right? However, everybody wants to do kind of the fancy, sexy Silicon Valley stuff. So they actually get caught up in tracking things that it's not that they don't matter, but it's that they can't be done in a way that is useful for you at your current scale, right? Um, So essentially everything that would involve like a funnel, right? Kind of falls into that category. Um, You know, should I write more? Should I write on... Uh, you know, medium, or should I write on LinkedIn? Should I redo my website? Is my portfolio good enough? Or should I spend more time adding more stuff to my portfolio? Like, these are all questions that naturally come up for people who have their heads in kind of like the tech slash Silicon Valley world, or like read the business section of the newspaper, because that's what everybody talks about. But they're actually huge distractions for most freelancers because there's really no way to verify that anything you're doing is working. Um, And in fact, I'll often tell uh, my students like, don't do this thing now, really don't do it ever, right? Like you might never need a better website. Like your website is fine. You know, (laughs) like it has a picture of you. It has like your logo, it has your contact information. Like for the next five years, you could literally have just that and still make six figures off your business without doing anything else. Right. So there's a lot of that stuff. That's like in, it seems important, but it is in fact, it's worse than minutia. It's minutia that actually will distract you and potentially could lead you in the wrong direction. Um, So you really want to avoid the stuff where, you know, don't try to copy the big data companies, right? Like don't get caught up in like the next fancy social media ad or, or app, right? Um, you really want to try to set up a simple system where you're really doing like one thing to generate leads and that's it. Um, you have one goal, right? Send more proposals to those leads. Um, and then on the back end, once people are in your system, you're tracking a simple set of metrics that like has enough data that you can eyeball it right? Because that's really what you're going to do at the end of the six months or at the end of the year um, is, you know, you're going to put this all on a spreadsheet and you're going to kind of like sort it by who you're making the most money with. And then you're going to eyeball it based on those uh, intangibles, right? Do I like working with this company? Do I see patterns where the same type of company is profitable for me over and over again? Stuff like that. Yep. That makes sense. So for you or you know, with, with your work with your students, how have, how has tracking or tracking this kind of data impacted your decisions about the actual direction your business should take? How has, how has the data kind of changed your path? So um, one thing that I try to do, uh, I used to do it annually or a little bit more often, especially when I had more clients um, in terms of total quantity. So like more clients, lower dollar per client per year, right? Um, Was I would uh, literally lop off like the bottom 10 or 20% at the end of every year, right? So that's just sort of like a cleansing uh, experience that you can do on a regular basis. And the goal there is that growth is basically 
removing your lower yield clients periodically and filling that space in with, you know, maybe you're charging a higher rate now or you've increased your project fees and those other clients just sort of can't like budget for that or can't keep up with that. Um, so <clears throat> being able to remove, you know, X number of hours per year that is low yield and then replace it with new leads coming in is going to be an easy growth path and also a relatively low risk growth path, right? Cause you're never like firing all your clients before you can replace them. Um, and that's kind of one of the key things throughout all this is like, you want to do this in a way that is measured and actually like kind of slow, right? You don't need to go out and like cancel a bunch of contracts. What you need to do is win new contracts and then say to those lower yielding clients, Hey, you know, I know when we started, you know, we were working at $50 per hour, but now I'm booked out at hundred dollars per hour. Um, would you like to stay on at that rate? Or can I refer you to like a friend or something like that? Right. So doing that on a regular basis is going to allow your business to naturally grow and you can do it based on something that's actually real, right. Which is the data that you've logged over the course of a year in terms of your, your time and, and the amount of profit that you're bringing in. And I think the other component of it is um, being able to see, being able to actually like verify the patterns that you think you see in your business, right? So like most of us can sort of brainstorm like, who are my best clients? Like, what do I think I, you know, want to focus on? But when you have those ideas in your head and you're forced to compare them to something that you've logged in real life, um, as you mentioned before, it can be really eye-opening because oftentimes we are kind of missing the forest for the trees when we're thinking about like how much we like an individual client or not. Um, and by seeing those broader patterns, you know, you can do a lot more basically with that. I love that. So before we wrap up, is there anything you think we should talk about that we haven't yet? Let's see. I mean, I could uh, <laughs> <laughs> talk about a million things. Um, I think, you know, one of the, one of the things that I think is worth sort of hitting on again is like the idea that you can't split test freelancing, right? Uh, so it's a huge hurdle for a lot of people because a lot of people will actually, um, resist doing anything that they feel they can't split test, right? Or another way to look at it is they will double or triple the amount of work that they have to do for no reason because they want to split test everything, right? There's mm -hmm. this kind of mythology around like, if you have a blue button, you're going to get 20% conversion rate. But if you have a red button, you're going to get 30%. And then there's all these magical things are going to happen for you, right? Mm -hmm. um, but in practice, you know, as I said, like, there's really not uh, that many of those opportunities in freelancing because you have such a lower total quantity of leads coming in, total quantity of like different people who are engaging with your business, right? Like if a hundred leads engage with your business in the next year, you'd have a really big freelancing business, but that still wouldn't really be enough to make serious decisions off of data about like, for example, how they're responding to your proposals and stuff like that. So I think, you know, the key is kind of, get away from trying to figure out why other people are behaving a certain way with data, right? Which is kind of what the, the world of like website optimization attempts to do and focus on the data that is in your control and directly affects you, right? Which is more about 
the stuff that you're doing. How much time are you spending on each project? Can you cut down sales time? Can you stop working with this type of client? Can you change your proposals so that it defines like what revisions look like in a more aggressive way that saves time on the implementation or, you know, forces the client to pay more if they go over stuff like that. Um, so I think that that mindset shift can be tricky um, because it is unusual and because it forces you to acknowledge that freelancing is not the same as like running a software as a service startup. And most marketing material that's out there is more oriented towards the software as a service Silicon Valley startup philosophy than it is towards, uh, you know, a solo freelancer who wants to make a hundred or a hundred $50,000 this year selling to clients. Um, so it's just a different mindset, different framework. In many ways, uh, it's better, right? Because I think there's kind of like a small is beautiful element to working as a, a, a freelancer or a solo practitioner of any kind. Um, you have a lot more control. You are able to create long-term relationships with clients for life, right? Um, and I think it actually creates a ton of stability for you in that you can have many clients, all of whom are really dedicated to you and who you can do great work for. Right. Um, but you can't accidentally merge that in with like the, you know, billions of people seeing my webpage and I'm converting a small percentage of them philosophy that comes from kind of the software as a service world. All right. So where can our listeners find you if they want to connect or learn more? Yeah, so check out um, robhoward.co, R-O-B-H-O-W-A-R-D.co. Um, you can get a bunch of my free freelance workshops and lessons right there. And we do uh, occasional sort of uh, mentorship programs with students where uh, you sort of work directly with me on a more regular basis to ramp up your freelance business, including some of the stuff that we just talked about and, and quite a bit more in terms of building out uh, recurring revenue retainers and stuff like that. So robhoward.co would be where to check it out. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being here today, Rob. This is great. Thank you. Much appreciated. Rob's profit per hour per client metric is something that really helped me look at businesses differently. I was so surprised when I realized that some of my favorite clients weren't necessarily my most profitable clients. Adding this metric to your business helps put some quantitative data into play. So when you're evaluating how to grow or what kinds of clients are ideal, this gives you some real numbers to look at. So not only are you looking at if you want to work with the client and if they fit into your culture, you can also look at whether working with that client is actually good for your business. And if they're not, you can decide to move on or figure out what you need to do to make working with that client make sense. One way that I've expanded on Rob's approach is to take this profit per hour approach and apply it to project types. So if you're someone who has standard packages or standard projects that you sell, you can measure profit per hour per project type too. And this is a great second metric to add into the picture. This helps me figure out which packages or projects I should sell more of, or what services I should look at streamlining or figuring out how to deliver more efficiently. It can also help figure out what lines of business make the most sense. Are there places where you should stop offering some services and double down on others? Or if you're looking to grow, what kinds of projects make the most sense to focus on growing? You don't have to measure everything. In fact, that might complicate the picture. But when you pick a few key pieces of data to collect, those can turn into key metrics that can help you decide the best way to grow. 
Next week, I'm going to look at the other side of your business, the squishy side. I'll talk to Karen Kelba from HeyKaren.com and the host of the Just Enough Data podcast about how to collect customer feedback and how to handle the qualitative side of your data. So make sure you hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss it. Growing your business can cause a lot of problems. If you're only focused on adding new clients to your roster, you can quickly get underwater. Your time gets stretched thin, your quality goes down, and results suffer. That's why measuring growth is about so much more than how many new clients you want to work with or how much revenue you want to add to the top line. I can help you understand growth from every angle, financial and operational. My goal is for you to strategically and sustainably grow your business and still leave the office at 3 p.m. to take your kids to the park because having a life is actually kind of fun. Here's how it works. First, we complete a growth blueprint. That growth blueprint lays out exactly what you need to do to make growth possible for your company again. It's a deep dive into your business operations and financial health. So together, we'll go over your business goals and your vision for the future of your business. Then we'll map out where you're getting stuck and figure out which parts of your system are blocking your growth. Then we enter the ramp up phase. I'll get to work setting up the necessary foundations to fix your business. This often includes implementing new software, defining your processes, and starting to make changes. Finally, we enter the growth advisory and continual improvement phase. This is where the real magic happens. I'll handle your finances and software systems so you can focus on selling into your new capacity and giving your clients the best possible service. With a continual focus on improving and streamlining, your business will be able to handle whatever you can throw at it. Ready to learn more? I'd love to learn about your business and where you're stuck when it comes to growth. Shoot me an email. I'm Susan at scalespark.co and we'll set up a time to talk. I'd love to help you plan for strategic and sustainable growth without sacrificing your time, your quality, or results. Break the Ceiling is produced by Yellow House Media. Production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode is edited by Marty Seafeld with production assistance by Kristen Rumbeck. <laughs>